Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. Last week's, uh, I haven't got up last week's yet. It was, uh, I had it recorded live rather than this recording it at home, but hopefully we'll get that up soon as we uh, talk about a brand new sermon series uh, about gender, and I'll explain more about that in a moment. Let me start with the passage that I'll be reading for today. This comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to read chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he cured them there. Some Pharisees came to him, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? He said to them, It was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for unchastity, and marries another, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven." Let anyone accept this who can. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. I heard a segment on NPR a few weeks ago about the song, This Little Light of Mine, which uh, I assume many of you know. And I'm curious, when you first think of that song, what is the first tune or what comes to your mind? Well, I typed it into Spotify, the streaming music service, and of the top 10 songs, there were a lot of them that were children versions. So maybe that's the thing that comes into your mind. Maybe you sang it as a child, or maybe you can still do the hand motions too. You may know Rafi, the uh, artist who often performs for children. Rafi has two versions of This Little Light of Mine in the top 10, so it gives you a sense of this. Uh, I'm going to play a couple versions in worship, one of which is from a group called the Mother Goose Club. This was the number three uh, listing of all the different versions, and it's uh, some children and adults, and I can only really listen to about a little more than 30 seconds of it before I have to turn it off. I'm sure there are well-meaning people. It was hard for me to listen to this version. But a few months ago, I interviewed a woman named Ruth Mae Harris for my other podcast, my Failing Boldly podcast. She's one of the Freedom Singers, a group of individuals who sang at so many different events and churches and in so many places during the Civil Rights Movement. And she, I, I knew about that This Little Light of Mine was a song of the Civil Rights Movement, but I'm not sure that I really knew it. But actually, Ruth Mae was interviewed in this NPR story I talked about. And in this interview, she said this. She said, you can't just sing this little light of mine. You've got to shout it. And so uh, I'm going to play a version of this where Ruth Mae is leading 
the singing for the freedom singers. And the differences between the two versions are pretty stark. It's the same basic notes that they're singing, but just the way that they're singing it, you can tell they're coming from totally different places. You know, when we name a version of a song, a popular song, a certain person may come to mind or a certain version that you know comes to mind. And when we hear it differently or a different version, there might be different ways that we respond. It could be acceptance. Uh, it might be transformation, like I'd never heard that before, or it might be resistance. You know, we've talked a little bit over the last few weeks about our brains and how our brains categorize as we were talking about discernment. And last week I talked about um, ways, uh, there was a psychologist who talked about, generally speaking, there are two ways that our brains take in information. And he called these system one and system two. System one is when we make our brains make quick decisions. And this is a way of thinking that's fast, that's intuitive, that's impressionistic. And so uh, system two is slower, more deliberate, more systematic. So if we have hear a version in our minds of a certain song, especially if we know it already, we may go into system one thinking. And that is, it's, if it's different than we know it, we've already categorized how this song should go. And so we just say, no, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be, rather than being slower and deliberate and more systematic. System one thinking is necessary at times, but if that's the only way we make decisions, that can lead to sexism and racism. Because once we think uh, about something and how it's supposed to be, it's, it's locked in. It can be hard to change. You know, when people of faith make decisions, they often go to the scriptures, both to see what God has to say about whatever it is that they're deciding. And if we are honest with ourselves, we are also going to find a verse that backs up what we already believe. And this is true in a whole range of issues. And that includes gender. This concept of gender that we're talking about in this sermon series and what we think that or believe that God might be saying about it too. So uh, I gave these definitions last week. I think probably it'll be important to talk about these throughout this sermon series so that when I say a word, you kind of know what I'm talking about. So quickly, I'm going to go through some definitions of terms that I'll be using. When I talk about gender identity, I'm talking about an internal sense of being male or female or both. You may have that identity, but sometimes it's a hard time explaining why. I should note that I'm getting these definitions from a book by Austin Hartke named Transforming. Gender expression is a way that we make our internal sense of gender visible to others, and sometimes this can be done in clothing or hair or mannerisms or voice. When we talk about sex or assigned sex, this is uh, someone's assigned sex is determined by a quick glance at the at baby's external genitalia. Transgender is someone whose gender identity does not match the sex they were assigned at birth. And it's important to note this is an adjective. So we talk about a transgender man, for example. It's also important to note that someone who is transgender does not necessarily have to have gender-affirming surgery. When I talk about cisgender, this means that the, the gender identity matches the sex they were assigned to at birth. Gender binary means this is a social system that's set up that believes or says that only that people only come in two genders, and that's male and female. And then this week I'm adding one more term, and that is intersex. Intersex is a general term used for a variety of uh, conditions in which a person is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit 
the typical definitions of male or female. So, for example, a person might be born appearing to be female on the outside, but having mostly male typical anatomy on the inside. That's what I mean when I talk about intersex. So, people of faith who uh, adhere and believe in the gender binary, again, this is a system that says there are only two genders, male and female, As I noted earlier, this is the way that they think, and so they will point to the Bible. They've gone to the scriptures, and they will point to Genesis, which was what we did last week. Genesis 1, that says, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so they'll point to Genesis and say, it clears day, there are only two genders and nothing in between. Well, I think it's important for us, and I've been really, really helped this week by doing some reading and listening of a scholar named uh, Dr. Megan DeFranza about um, gender. And she points out that sometimes when we only look at this one passage from Genesis, that closes us off to a broader way of thinking. Again, it's a little bit of system one, meaning we make a quick decision, say, well, only two, and I'm not going to go beyond that to explore what else Uh, might be evident in our world. And in her work, Dr. DeFranza says that actually that there's evidence, ample evidence, that ancient Jews and Christians, so uh, Jews and Christians around Jesus' time and a little bit after him were familiar with what she calls differences of sex development, DSD, and that they had more than one term to describe persons who do not or did not fit neatly into these categories, male and female. So, an example, early Jewish thinkers and rabbis, in what we, we, find, we find some writings uh, and reflections that these early Jewish thinkers and rabbis, and we see this in what's called the Talmud. The Talmud is a comprehensive written version of the oral law and commentaries, and it originates from about the second century of the common area, or you might know it as the second century AD. So, early Jewish thinkers were struggling with this too, because Genesis said there are only two sexes, but they also knew that there were some who didn't fit either category, what we might call today intersex. So, interestingly, they created a system. These ancestors in our faith of centuries and centuries ago created a system that allowed for gradations between male and female. So, here are some examples, and I'll put a link to this on the Podbean page. They have Hebrew words for male and female, but they also have words for individuals in between. So, for example, there's a Hebrew word, and my apologies if I'm mispronouncing this, but androgynous which you may sound familiar to us, but this is a word, Hebrew word, meaning having male and female characteristics. And in the Talmud, now again, this is building on the Torah, building on reflections on the Torah and creating of laws. There are 181 references in the Talmud about, or I should say 149 references in the Talmud of androgynous, those who are, have male and female characteristics. There's another word called tum-tum, and these are individuals, they have this word for those who have sexual characteristics that are indeterminate, 181 references in the Talmud. And then another word, saris, and this is one who is female at birth, but develops quote-unquote male characteristics at puberty and is infertile. So, 80 references to this word in Hebrew, and saris actually is the Hebrew word for eunuch. And that brings us 
to uh, today's scripture. Now, the eunuchs were often, in again, during this time, eunuchs were kind of a third gender category. Dr. DeFranza notes that she believes that there is evidence in the Bible that points to understanding eunuchs as something other than fully male or something more than just infertile males. It was a broad term that covers a number of bodily differences. So it's hard to know with certainty which aspects of eunuch are intended in a particular passage. However, they were often considered outsiders. So even though there is a category for those who are either neither male nor female, they are often considered outsiders. I've mentioned before, one uh, verse that is often pointed to is uh, Deuteronomy in the Older Testament. Deuteronomy 23.1 notes that, one, that no one whose testicles were crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. So we can see here, and if, if somebody was designated a eunuch because of that, in this case, they were not allowed to worship. We're not allowed to be in the assembly of the Lord. So again, this eunuch could be a very general category for those who were considered neither male nor female. They were different. And when we experience someone who's different than us, then it is easy for us to just put them aside or not pay attention to them. Certainly, we do not want them as part of what is the quote-unquote norm. We don't always respond well to difference and our system one thinking, quickly saying it's either this or that, and we don't allow ourselves to slow and open up to see what God might be doing in our midst. We just got an email, someone emailed uh, one of our pastors here at Urban yesterday, Urban Village yesterday, and uh, he's a father, and one of his children goes to our church and is a student at a school here in Chicago, the Chicago area. And uh, this parent was very open with us and said that his child is a sophomore and attends one of our sites. And over Christmas, told uh, his parents or told their parents that um, that they're gender queer and pansexual. Now, this parent, this father, said that he grew up in a conservative denomination, grew up in an area of the country that isn't known for being open, and he's been looking for resources to help him love, understand, and support his child. And talked, he talked about, this father was talking about how grateful he was that we're talking about this. And then he, he, was, he was honest that he struggles with this. He said, in the end, I'm quoting here from his email, it's kind of a moot, moot question because either way, our call is the same, to love, encourage, and defend all people, whether cisgendered or not. He said, I think though, if I could love my child's gender, queer, gender queerness, that that was part of God's design for them and not some brokenness to be resisted and fixed that I could be more at peace. So I appreciate his honesty. It's not easy to wrestle with this. If our, in our minds, we've only known there are two genders. And if we've only gone to Genesis, like this is the way it is. And we don't allow ourselves to see, is there anything beyond this? It can take time to really get to that point, which I think is why it's important to look at today's passage from Matthew. Jesus does a pretty amazing thing in the passage. Now, the bulk of this passage has to do with rules about divorce. And as Jesus goes through this, at the end, his disciples are like, you know what, with all these guidelines, maybe it's just better not to marry. And Jesus does a really interesting thing. Again, this is verse 12. And Jesus says, for there are eunuchs who have been, who have been so from birth, There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. 
let anyone accept this who can. Now, scholars have, have admitted that this is a hard passage to, to translate and to get a handle on what Jesus really meant here. Some have said, well, Jesus is simply talking about people who choose celibacy. And also maybe Jesus is, is talking about eunuchs, those who have had um, their, their penises or testicles cut off. But it's also interesting, Jesus says eunuchs who have been so from birth. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that there's some other category uh, that is not male or female? But what's really interesting is how he lifts them up as a category, not one that's an outsider, but instead one who is involved, engaged in the kingdom of heaven. I want to quote here again, Dr. DeFranza, as she quotes, talks about this passage. And she says this, Jesus does not make fun of eunuchs for their differences as other rabbis did. Jesus does not speak of them as, quote, proof of that fall, unquote, as some theologians have. We have no record of Jesus healing a eunuch in order to bring one back into the, quote, divinely intended, unquote, category of male. Rather, Jesus uses common knowledge about eunuchs to point to a kind of radical discipleship a willingness to give up male privilege, the status associated with a clear gendered place in the world, a willingness to become aliens and strangers because of one's allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. I think that's uh, so interesting, the way that Jesus goes about doing this, that Jesus lifts up eunuchs as a category and talking about here is here are some who have chosen this lifestyle of following for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. This is powerful, what Jesus does here. And it begins, to hopefully, to open our minds to the, to the spectrum of what's in our world today and perhaps as God created it. Next week, uh, um, in the next couple of weeks, I should say, at Urban Village, we are having a couple of different interesting things at our Wicker Park uh, location next Sunday on the 17th, we're having a drag worship. Uh, and we're also at our Hyde Park Woodlawn site having a drag Bible story time. Now, when this was first brought up, I must confess at first, my first reaction was like, uh, are, really? Are, are we sure? This seems like it might be really going too far, too far out there. So again, it's that in our, in our minds, it's either this or that. We can't do one or the other. But as I was doing some reading this week, I came across uh, a young man named Chris Weaver, and I'm going to show a clip of him. He was actually was a contestant on The Voice reality show a couple years ago, and um, he grew up in Long Island, New York, and then went to Central College in Iowa, which is actually not far from where I went to school, which kind of shocked me. Uh, Chris is African-American, and so I would imagine he was one of the few African-Americans at Central. And then he went, he moved to Des Moines and actually went to a a church in Des Moines that was a little more conservative. And he came out as gay and could not fully be part of the church. He eventually moved back to New York and then found another church out there. And he tells this really wonderful story about how he found the church. He said he was riding the subway one day and that a man, a stranger came up to him and said, you sing. Now, Chris had not sung at all. He wasn't singing to himself. He wasn't singing on the subway. So he did not know how this man knew that he was a singer. But then the man said to him, I want you to sing a song. And so he he did. Chris sang a song. And then the man asked him to work at the church that he was a part of. And they offered him a position on the drag team. Now, it came out later on that he told one of the 
as he said, the prophetesses uh, at the church, he said, he told her that he did drag. And she thought, and I'm quoting here from the article that I read about Chris, he said, she thought that was fierce. And she encouraged me to tell my bishop. And the reaction was more that he could hope for. At first, he said, no, 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 I'm not going to do drag in the church. But eventually, the idea was sold and the show went on. Now he does a gospel drag show and he talks about how he goes to the gay bar and he talks about doing uh, drag his, uh, when he performs his drag, uh, his character, the, the person's name that he does in drag is Nidra. And he talks about Nidra and talks about when he's Nidra and he uses she pronouns that when he's Nidra and he's, when Nidra is singing and the, uh, the lies that she touches. And Chris tells the story that when Nidra sings that this woman came up to Nidra and said, I don't even believe in God, but after that number, you make me want to believe And then Chris and Nidra said, drag is an opportunity, a way to reach people. People want this relationship with Christ, but they don't feel there's a place they can go and do that. Maybe my shows help do that. I would imagine there are some people who who listen to Chris's story and they may think to themselves, I don't know about that. And I think that has to do, and I've, I've been in that place too. We have in our minds, this is the way it is. That this is the way faith is, religion is, this is the way Christianity is, this is the way church is. How we perceive gender, how we see how we should live that out in our own faith lives. We close ourselves up without really listening, without really reading, and without really opening up to see what could be possible, what God might be doing in our own lives and in this world. And sometimes I think we narrow the possibilities that God has in front of us. I think God is calling us to be open to that, both for those who are wondering with or wondering about who their identity is, and we pray that ours can be a community that can help them in this process of asking those questions, but also for for those of us who may not have wrestled with this, and if our faith has been maybe a way or a way to categorize our faith is the good children's song, This Little Light of Mine. And instead, I think maybe we need to open that up to see what other versions are out there so that our faith might be broadened and deepened and so that we might, in the process, have a richer relationship with Christ in the in the process. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening um, to this podcast. Uh, especially on this issue, if you have any questions, um, I am happy to uh, re- respond at all to anything that you might have to say or any questions that you might have. I'll also put a couple of resources on the Podbean page of things that I've read over the last few weeks that have been helpful. Um, I actually am going to be off for the next uh, two Sundays, and so um, please go to our Urban Village website, or I should say our Podbean page to listen to other preachers at Urban Village talk about the remainder of this sermon series. And until the next time that I am with you, which will be the first Sunday in March, uh, may the peace of Christ be with you. Great God of heaven, my treasure thou